And again, good afternoon. It's uh, Sunday, the 29th of June, uh, 2008. Michael Benner with you from Maui, Hawaii. Today, as I was mentioning on the setup before class began, we're in uh, a pretty remote end of Maui. Some of you may know the Hana area and the famous road to Hana. Well, we're probably three-quarters of the way down that road. In a tiny little community few people even know about called Nahiku, and we're wired to the Internet from Nahiku, deep in the jungle, two hours from any kind of services. I think it's so cool to be able to do this. So it's a pleasure to be with you here uh, this morning, uh, this afternoon, your time. And today we're going to talk about identity. Who are we? And I mean really. Because even people who insist that they never play roles and they are never uh, attempt to please or persuade or influence other people are obviously playing the role of a person that does that. I mean, that's what we're going to talk about. And yet there's something more. Uh, there's a, a higher sense of self that comes through from time to time and bursts of clarity and insight and understanding where everything is reconciled. How do we get to that place? And who are these people? And when you hear somebody say or maybe in your own mind, you hear a thought that says, oh, I hate myself when I feel like this. Um, who's who? In fact, that's a great place to begin with the Eckhart Tolle story from The Power of Now. And uh, maybe a little Alice in Wonderland, too, as we begin to talk about identity. But I want to mention at the top of the program here that uh, this is perpetually available as a replay and as a recording. You can find it on my website at theagelesswisdom.com or michaelbenner.com will take you there. Click on Web Teleconference, and you'll see a archive, a library of all the past programs. You can play them from that location, the streaming audio, or you can even download, if you click through, a small MP3 file and put it right on your computer. These classes are also podcast as the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, and uh, you can subscribe for free, of course, at the... Uh, iTunes Music Store, just enter my name in the iTunes Music Store, Michael Benner, and uh, a couple of programs will pop up. Breakthrough Radio with Steve Snyder will come up also, but uh, Ageless, they're really both right now uh, podcasting this particular Sunday afternoon class. So uh, we may use Breakthrough Radio for something different later, so you as well subscribe to the one that's called the Ageless Wisdom. Not that it matters that much. I didn't want to confuse you about that. And again, you can listen on your computer or reflect it onto your iPod or other portable MP3 player and uh, listen at your convenience. But lots of folks just listen right on the computer, so you don't need an uh, iPod to listen to a podcast. Podcast is just an automatic download. If you're in my generation of baby boomers, uh, we got to find teenagers to help us with some of this stuff. It's just an automatic download uh, onto your computer. And that brings up, of course, uh, Focus Passion, and you can subscribe there to a premium podcast, a weekly one-hour including meditation program featuring Steve Snyder and myself, uh, some of the best stuff we've ever done in the personal and spiritual development field, and that's uh, a grand total of 99 cents a week. We bill 3.96 a month, so you want to get on board with that, just click the button in the lower right of your screen that says Wage Inner Peace Now. You want to check
change the world, do it from the inside out. And uh, start with yourself, learning to use states of peace and mental quietude and emotional tranquility, real inner peace, to create the expanded awareness, the insight and understanding that is so essential to going through life more effectively and with greater sense of fulfillment. Okay, so uh, having mentioned those announcements, then let's move into the the class here today. And I want to remind you that you can submit questions, those of you who are listening on the web anyway. Callers, unfortunately, we have to mute you out most of the time. And, uh, of course, many people will be listening on the replay. But if you're with us live here today, you can use that uh, submit a question box in the bottom of the web page. And, uh, we'll try and get to those at some point here today. We'll see how it goes. And, of course, I do plan to do a little guided imagery exercise at the end, uh, which I like to do in every one of these classes. So, again, thanks for joining us. Nice to be with you here from uh, from uh, my friend's house in the jungle. <laughs> I'm a couple hours away from where I am living in Hawaii now. So anyway, uh, this is a favorite topic of mine. I think that uh, I enjoy presenting it because people uh, get a lot of relief out of this. The idea that uh, you know sometimes I don't know, know who I am can make us feel crazy. As I said in the reminder that I sent, um, if all of our thoughts and feelings arrived with equal impact, they all arrived basically from an unbiased position, every thought and feeling. Imagine the increase in anxiety levels and real insanity in the world. And so are you those thoughts or are you the one that can sort them out? That's one way of describing this dichotomy, the two basic fundamental selves that I want to talk about today, the, the ego or persona, the personality, and then this higher self that shines through every once in a while, the spiritual self. And uh, that's our topic for the day today. Now, I mentioned Eckhart Tolle. He's become real popular of late, having done the teleseminar with Oprah, and I just think that's so exciting. That's why I love using the Internet this way. Uh, and we're not dependent on and have no indebtedness to radio stations anyplace. We can just hook up here, the uh, cyber fireplace, the cyber cafe. But uh, in his first book, The Power of Now, there is a discussion of him having awakened in the middle of the night, feeling extraordinarily depressed. And as he describes it in the power of now, this was some serious depression. I mean, he says, you know, I've been depressed before. I've been bummed out. I've been deeply depressed. But man, never like this. I was just ready to blow my brains out if I'd, if I'd even you know had a gun handy maybe I would have he just horrible deep depression and the thought that screamed through his head was I can't stand myself like this but two more thoughts followed immediately on the heels of that initial thought I can't stand myself like this and Tola's genius is in these two follow on thoughts the second one being Wait a minute, if I can't stand myself like this, how many of me are there? How many of me are there? And the third thought was, well, if there's two or more, maybe only one of them is real. Folks, this is real smart. This is real smart. 
how many of me are there? If I can't stand myself, which one am I? Uh, am I the myself I can't stand, or am I the I that's getting fed up with playing this role or this character? And this is not commonly discussed. People don't talk about this. And so to have, you know, teachers come forward and to have a forum like uh, Oprah's program, for example, um, and to use the Internet for these free teleseminars is just, I think, uh, remarkable. And it's certainly going to, you know, the impact of the Internet is going to uh, not, uh, I don't want to say eliminate anything, any, you know, Sunday go to meeting or church activity or the fellowship, all of that's important uh, to get together for the social aspects. But uh, the Internet is a remarkable breakthrough. So how many of me are there? All right? And if there are two or more, then maybe only one of them is real. Uh, you know the Shakespeare quote, all the world is a stage and we're but players and we have our exits and our entrances and our, uh, in a lifetime we play many roles. This is something that most people begin to address even as early as high school. I remember reading, um, Anne Morrow Lindbergh's Gift from the Sea at the time about the masks that we wear. But it wasn't until much later as an adult, that I found out that the word personality means mask. Personality rooted in persona. Well, actually, the word persona is a mask. If you go back to Shakespeare's time, the early Renaissance era and the Globe Theater, actors, first of all, were all men. There were no women. So if characters included women, as they often did, men would have to play the women. But uh, pretty much all characters held up masks in front of their faces, uh, representing the persona, the personality, or the character that they were playing. And interestingly, I think the masks uh, also were sort of cone-shaped around the mouth, so they had a little megaphone effect and helped the actor to project out into the theater. So, uh, persona. Let's 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 understand that even in regardless of our intention, regardless of our motives or motivations in being the kind of people we want to be, we're still role selecting. As if you can relate to the idea of going down a big rack of clothing in a in a clothing store, really nice suits or uh, you know dresses or outfits, whatever, and you're going down and you just pulling these hangers along the the, uh, the rod here, and you're trying to find what fits. You're trying to find what you like here. Well, I don't want to overstate this, but you're looking for the costume that you're going to wear. <laughs> you know, when I was a, a young guy in the 60s and in the 70s, we dressed the part, which was a nonconformist. It was hilarious and ironic that we were going to express our nonconformity by not dressing the way most adults dress, and yet we had our own conformance within that. You know, you could always spot each other by the the van and the uh, the long hair and the hippie dress. That was our costume, even if it came out of uh, rejecting the idea of a costume. Right, the suit and tie is clearly a costume. 
and he, uh, we won't even talk about the implications of a noose around your neck. We start as children trying to please other people. Children are indeed dependent emotionally and in all other ways to varying degrees on adults, on their parents and on the family. This uh, dependence, especially in the emotional area, should be outgrown. If we have a healthy upbringing, we come from a functional family, there's a point as teenagers or young adults where we become more emotionally independent and we always want to have emotional relationship with our family, of course, but we don't need to have it. That's when we begin to individuate, to rebel, to kick out, and to try to find ourselves. Okay? Well, suddenly you're 30, maybe you're 50, maybe you're 60, and when is the last time that you really tried to find yourself? Perhaps you reflect and you say, well, throughout my life I've had a different sense of myself. Well, here we're just going down the the line of personas or roles that we play, in many cases, out of a desire to please other people, as if through that performance we could then earn what we're looking for, acceptance and love, to earn the... Um, what we're looking for is self-confidence, self-esteem, uh, self-love, self-trust, self-respect, and we want it to come from other people. You see the problem with that? So this self can't be real that we're talking about. This persona is a choice that, that some other part of us has made. Although, we, again, we're not fully conscious of that process. We're not even fully conscious of how we do that throughout our lives, how we peek it and tweak it and and modify it like a, you know, a recipe that you're trying to figure out how to improve. Uh, and yet, not often enough, because Western religion certainly doesn't, doesn't uh, provide this, some Eastern philosophies do, not often enough do we stand above it all, take the higher perspective and say, wait a minute, uh, who's doing the choosing here? Uh, what part of me sorts through my thoughts and feelings and decides uh, in any given moment which is appropriate, uh, which I agree with and, and which I don't agree with? Uh, that higher sense of self, it breaks through from time to time in bursts of clarity in the eureka illumination, the, the aha experience, whether it's a memory or an understanding, a big picture that suddenly bursts into your awareness as if conceived someplace else and then bursts fully conceived into uh, your conscious nature. See? And again, we love our stimulus. You know, we're Westerns. It's like stimulate me, turn up the radio, get that TV going, and, and um, we always want something to do. Not that that's bad, but what it does is tend to distract us from this higher sense of self. And so we get caught up in the roles, in the costumes we wear, in the characters that we become. Then we begin to write stories about them. And we, here in Hawaii, there's a wonderful saying about sitting around chatting, we talk story. So we all do this, we sit around and we talk story. And um, I've seen this in myself. Um, I've seen all of this stuff, I've seen it myself. How would I know it? But uh, you find a good story, you know. Something happened to you, and uh, it's funny or it's ironic or it's meaningful or it's maybe profound, uh, provocative, 
and you tell the story. And every time you tell the story, you tell it a little bit better, and then you get this catalog of stories that we tell about our lives. Well, my goodness, we're invested now, aren't we? You see? We're <laughs> to whatever extent we're the actor or the reactor, to whatever extent we're consciously causing our lives or a victim of our lives, we get invested in the stories that we tell. And you are not the story that you're telling about your life. And if you're tired of telling those old stories and want to tell some new stories, <laughs> want to have some new experiences that create stories that maybe you'll tell and maybe you won't, uh, consider the idea of not choosing a different role or a different character, but taking a breath and as you exhale, relax and close your eyes. And continue to feel safe and relaxed. And we'll do this formally in a few minutes. We always try to do a guided imagery exercise in each one of these classes or webinars. But any time, even if it's not a formal meditation, but you're busy at work, you're at your desk, and you know the phone's ringing and the fax machine is whining and the computer just went dark and and people are at your desk and everything's exploding all around you. And you certainly are not in a circumstance where you can do some kind of formal meditation. But you always got time for a slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, you can create a sense of peace and quiet uh, very quickly that is not as good as where you go in a full meditation, but it sure helps in the moment to get a bit of the clarity that you need, okay? Better than not breathing, better than not um, considering that there's a higher perspective, an elevated perspective or point of view. Um, you know, if you imagine yourself in a car sitting at a railroad crossing and the gates are down and the lights are flashing and the train is going by, you see the train right there, right now. This is your reality. Here it is. But if instead you're up on a hill looking down, and the train is way down there in the valley below, well, you can see the train crossing that same road. But you can also see the past. You can see where the train has been. You can look the other way and see where the train is going. You have an elevated perspective or a higher point of view. It's more complete it's more inclusive. You see the larger patterns of things. You become the I in Eckhart Tolle's story that's getting fed up with being myself and these characters and believing we've been fed up before, but we just chose another character. You see, we just peeked and tweaked and said, well, I need to be a nicer person. Well, I need to get my anger under control. Well, I need to forgive so-and-so. There's no point carrying this around for the rest of my life. You see, we are not those decisions. We're the one that makes the decisions. And in our daily life and affairs, it's very easy uh, to forget that. So this is the two selves. These are, if you will, the two selves. Again, the characters that we play, the roles, the, the personality, that's the persona. This is the ego nature. And <clears throat> it's not really a bad thing to have an ego. People talk about the negative ego 
as if there was such a thing as a positive ego. <laughs> I don't know. And Freud's sense of ego is a little different than the way I use it. So, you know, if you want to stay with persona, uh, you can't. But I'm just saying the ego, uh, the persona, the mask, or the roles that we play, these characters, these stories that we tell, that we've chosen and then forgotten conveniently that we've chosen them because we wouldn't want to be the one that did the choosing now, would we? <laughs> uh, maybe too much responsibility in there, too much emotional independence. Okay. Um, we, we can transcend this. We can be this higher self, which is the spiritual self, um, if you wish, the soul. Let's uh, let's just talk about the two selves in the simplest way as uh, material and spiritual. Right? Uh, the material self is you, and for most people, their stuff. Um, many, 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 many people believe they are their stuff. They are the car that they drive. They are the house that they live in. You know, they are, and then there's a certain you know truth to that, of course, in a subjective sense. They believe they are the money they have. They believe they are the people they know. They believe they are the status and the prestige and the leverage that they can get from being in the right country club or whatever. And, of course, you know, you get, uh, if you have a little philosophical or psychological interest in you, you see that, you recognize it, you may decry it as pathetic. Um, but we need to go further. Uh, you have a body. It's uh, a temple. It's a vehicle, an instrument for you to act. Uh, in this material world, you need a material body. If you didn't have a material body, you wouldn't be able to put your hands on things and, and manage this world of separated form. The whole experience is to be separated from source or to suffer the illusion of being separated being alienated, even though spiritually you could never be alienated, spiritually you could never be separated. But the ego or persona, I'm arguing, is the part that is tempted, to pull on a religious metaphor. Even Christ was tempted. What does that mean? To get confused and think you're this physical being. Maybe you've transcended the belief that you are your car or your house or your money, but you still believe you are your body. Well, care for it. I wish I'd, <laughs> in my youth, cared more for mine. I thought I'd just always be vital and could abuse it in any way I wanted. Uh, it's an important part of who we are, but it's not the essence of who you, who you are. Nor are your feelings um, the essence of who you are, although we're getting real close there. Nor are your thoughts uh, more than symptomatic of the kind of person that you are, that you attract these thought forms, that you dwell on these thoughts, and that you value these thoughts, uh, prioritizing them uh, to the extent that you're really creating a sense of self out of what you think is important and the way you prioritize the thought. But you're not the thought. You're the one that's doing the prioritizing. See, We do it so unconsciously or semi-consciously that we lose track. Uh, so, uh, uh, besides the stuff that you are not, your car, your house, your money, and the body, which is a vehicle, an, an instrument, it's it's not really a possession, it's just 
the material being that you inherit in a given incarnation, right? You're more than the body, you're more than the mind, you're more even than the heart, although the emotions get real close. They're the essence of subjectivity in terms of the persona's point of view. But again, there is a higher, like climb up on the hill, get that elevated perspective. There is a higher sense that I am all of these things and more. And I am that I am. In Hindu philosophy, this is Tasvamasi, uh, thou art that. You are that. I am that. I'm not this. I'm not the appearance. Okay? It's like looking in a mirror and saying, I am that. You're not the reflection. Well, the physical dense is understood to be a reflection of spirit. And you identify with the spirit and say, Pasvamasi means uh, I am that. Or in the Western mystery tradition, uh, see, the way I learned it was, um, uh, I am that I am. I have to say this right. I am that I am is Papa. You don't want to say I am that I am. I, uh, and that's what I am and that's all that I am. I'm Popeye. <laughs> Damn it. Now it's, it's I am that I am in form but above and free of form. And I appropriate the ego. I appropriate the personality. I, I protect it and uh, shelter it. I just don't let it run the show. You see. You need an ego. You need uh, a part of the self that stands up front that maybe does get a little defensive sometimes and is really interested in keeping you alive and maybe even interested in dissuading you from understanding that you're actually the higher perspective, the spiritual self. Your ego doesn't really feel a little threatened by that if you're not comforting and and saying to the ego nature, the persona, these stories we tell and roles that we play, uh, it's okay, I'm going to take care of you, don't worry, I'm not going to abandon you. Uh, this is different than the idea of ego death in the East. This is, um, in Western mystery traditions, this is called the alchemical wedding. And this is the marriage of the soul and the persona of the spiritual self and the material self. And, uh, you know, the there's a great William Blake painting of a man on a, a spiral uh, trail, spiraling around the mountain and meeting a woman near the top. Not at the top, but, you know, three quarters of the way up. That, that woman represents the soul. And, of course, the circular spiralic path is the ascent of the, uh, the middle way, uh, the mystic's path. To meet the soul on the trail, you know, is to say that we can consciously go from being the ego or personality, aspiring to know something of our higher self, to being the soul-infused persona, the spiritually-infused material being. Instead of identifying with the material being, seeking to know something of the higher self, be the higher self that appropriates and cares for the material being and its ego. You know, the upfront part. Can you do that 24-7? Well, I can't. Have I ever met anybody that could hold that frequency? No. Okay. Because I haven't met a fully Christed being. Or somebody who is as awake as Buddha nature allows you to be awake. 
Do we get glimpses of it and flashes of it? Yes. Can we get better and better at making that ascension, that spiralic upward floating up toward the higher perspective? Yes. Is it about effort? No. Is it about aspiration? Yes. You're pulled magnetically up when you seek the affairs of the heart, when you seek to understand the feeling beyond feeling. This is where the guided imagery, the visualization meditation comes in. When you close your eyes, 86% of stimulus stops. 86% of the physical world ceases to exist when you just close your eyes. Then with a little slow, deep breathing and some physical relaxation, brain waves change. And for every physical sense, you get an imaginary sense and sensation. You can imagine seeing and smelling and, and tasting. And according to the now well-known secret, the law of attraction, you can use these states, especially super-powered, hyper-suggestible states, to manage circumstance and opportunity to create a, a, a coherence, a coordination uh, where the universe supports you, especially when what you're attempting to create with the vibration of consciousness is for the greater good of all concerned. That's available, certainly, but also a receptive state is available in these levels of mind. And it's this receptive state that I'd like to... I mean, it's always a two-way street, right? You meditate for two reasons, either to stand receptive or to visualize your manifestation and feel the feeling of already having it but these states these alpha brainwave states where the mind becomes quiet where the physical body is still where the emotional nature is calm allows you to resonate with a higher frequency with a feeling above feelings and that's the identity that caring nature that quality of love the compassion and forgiveness that's up there waiting for us to identify with it and then to repeat the process to continue to go back again and again and then to learn to pause in your behavior and your actions in your daily life and affairs before you and, and to check in before you take that action with that higher self and try to get that bigger picture uh, not just about the circumstance and the event but about your very identity okay so we're not our bodies, we're not our thoughts, we're not our feelings. We are what remains when you breathe and relax. Okay. Now, I want to remind you that the, um, well, let me do a couple of things here. I'm, I want to refresh a couple of pages real quickly and, and ask you to, uh, oh, lots of new people on board. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you come in late, remember the replay is at the same link uh, about 10 or 15 minutes after it's over. And uh, so you can listen to it from the beginning at your leisure, either streaming or you can download it. So if you're listening on the telephone, again, good afternoon. If you're listening uh, on the web, uh, you have a page in front of you where you can submit a question. And uh, I'd like to acknowledge a few of these and let me do a time check here and then we'll figure out where we are oh good it's only 33 after so we're doing real good time wise 
All right, let's acknowledge some of the folks on board. Uh, Carolyn Lahabra. Uh, hi, Michael. Hi, Carol. Also in Huntington Beach, Lorelai is with us again this morning. Thanks, Lorelai. Appreciate that. A lot of old friends come back. You, know, you lose track of them, and suddenly they pop up on the, on the webinar. It's so cool. Um, John Bowles, John in Pittsburgh. Hello, John. Let's see. Robert in Irvine has a comment I'll share with you. He says, uh, I was through an OBE, which uh, obviously is out-of-body experience. He said, I experienced this uh, during an hour pneumonia when I was about 12 years old, and uh, that helped me realize that I'm more than what I thought I was, uh, separate and above, in the air, uh, so to speak, pure awareness. And that is a common experience, about about the experiences. You suddenly find yourself like above it all and looking down. It's very comforting to know that you exist without a body. Uh, this is me, not uh, Robert. Let me go back to Robert. He said, I looked down on my body on the floor, uh, going through convulsions, and a moment later, back in my body again, uh, looking up toward the ceiling. It helped me realize that my body is an instrument and that something of me would survive death after the body is gone. Yeah, that's the best part of an out-of-body experience. It's not where you go or what you do, but just <laughs> to know that you remain. And to know that in meditation, to know that you can let go of muscular tension and remain. To know that you can slow down your thoughts or allow them to be slowed down by focusing on your breathing instead. And yet you remain. And it's a little uncomfortable for people. They say, I can't quiet my mind. I can't meditate. I need to quiet my mind. And it won't. No, no, no. I'll uh, never get tired of repeating this. Uh, it's so important. You don't need to quiet the mind to meditate. You need to meditate to quiet the mind. And it'll shut up. It'll slow down when you turn your attention from your thoughts to your breathing. At least that's where that's a nice first step. Same thing with your emotional nature. Okay, how do you get above the emotion and say, I'm more than the emotion. I'm not simply the way I feel. I mean, think about it. If we believe we're our thoughts and feelings, that's not very stable ground, is it? Because our feelings are always changing and our thoughts are always arguing. <laughs> so we've got to be more than that ego, more than that persona. And, uh, you know, there's... Uh, Ancient tradition in this, obviously, in Eastern philosophy, maybe not so obvious, but in Eastern philosophy, this is as old as, as time itself. Uh, the idea that you can get to a place where there's no thought, and yet you remain. Uh, the good news, I think, is that in the interim, we can use guided imagery and visualization, which is you know, obviously not a no-thought process. In the West, we call the no-thought process contemplation. The mystical contemplative is one that is seeking an approach of the most divine by relinquishing all form. And even thought is a form. It's a thought form. It's a thing. So even if you use a thought or a feeling, which is a form, a feeling form, to make the ascension, let's say you're chanting God, God, or Jesus, or love, or one, repeatedly one, 
Inhale and exhale, one, the one life or love, over and over. That'll take you a long way out of your body and up toward this higher sense of self. But the old mystics, East, Middle East, West, ancient, medieval, and contemporary, they all agree at some point you have to let even that go for the very thought form or or emotional feeling that brought you to this place will ultimately stand between you and the ultimate no thing, right? The source of all divinity can't be a thing. This is why, you know, idolatry in most of Western religion really is a kind of idolatry because it, it visualizes the most, defined, the most divine as a definable shape. God is a man. We saw his picture on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, there's only one, but he's very, very far away and very disconnected and very remote. And you got to do what we say if you're going to find him, right? That's sort of religion in a nutshell. Take all you can from religion. I, I, uh, again, it's not the teaching, it's the practice. It's just the way it's practiced. You just got to sort through that stuff yourself and be that higher self that's doing this, the uh, the sorting. So, let me check and see if we have anybody else. Refresh the page. Any other questions or comments submitted here this morning? And, uh, got sort of a slow router out here. And it looks like that may be it. In which case, I'm going to do a shorter class than I normally do today. And uh, we'll go right into the visualization. Let me double-check this, make sure I'm not missing out over here. All right. Good. Let's do that, then. Um, still more people coming in. Aloha. Good afternoon. Good morning from Maui. It's now 10.39. For those of us in the live event here in Maui, it's 10.39, so 1.39 West Coast, 4.39 in the East. Uh, we have some European listeners, too, that check in from time to time. Uh, I have a friend in Ireland, um, we have family in England and uh, a couple of philosophers in Amsterdam that checked in recently. I hope they're enjoying themselves, too. Okay, folks, so let's do this visualization and see if we can better install uh, this concept of a kind of a duality, really, um, except it's vertical in nature. Uh, you know, the ego is, again, the persona the fear-based, materially-based. It's designed to protect and defend, to identify with the separative form, the material form. Okay? It fights for life. Uh, it's not totally bad. It just comes out of fear. And it represents often what we don't know. We have a higher self. This is a more harmonious, even inclusive and unitive self. Uh, the brilliance of this higher self, this overshadowing soul, if you will, uh, breaks through, and we see it from time to time. Uh, you know, I, I interviewed Gary Zukoff about six or eight months ago, just before leaving Los Angeles, uh, author of Seat of the Soul, and of course Dance of the Wu Li Masters from the 70s, early 70s, great book. And Gary uh, was talking about the oversoul, the higher self, as a kind of a mothership and that the ego descends like the little flying saucer 
know, down to the planet surface and explores and experiences and then upon death returns to the mothership. You need to know that this ancient wisdom, this Prisca Theologia, the ancient teachings of the pre-existing soul, were held even by those who founded the Catholic Church in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, and it was written out later. And many of the founding fathers of the so-called Catholic Church, the Christian Church in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, were found guilty posthumously of heresy for teaching this very concept, the pre-existence of the soul, that the soul exists on its own plane above and free of form. The church took this out in the 8th century. There have been, people often will talk about the Council of Nicaea. There were a half a dozen councils of Nicaea. And the one in the 8th century is the one where the soul and spirit were equated. And the soul was basically something that God fashions upon conception and sticks inside you. That is... Uh, very different than the pre-existing concept of the soul being born at the beginning of time and manifesting or incarnating repeatedly. This second, more ancient concept um, solves the question, where do I go when I die? Which is, you don't go anywhere. You, <laughs> It's like going to a movie theater and you're watching a film and the movie ends, where did it go? Well, no place. It's still in the projector behind you. It's just not being projected. So where do you go when you die? You don't go anywhere. You just wake up. That's what death is, really. You wake up to a realization that you're the projector, not the reflection on the wall. This, of course, is heresy, and millions and millions of people, I'm, I'm saying literally millions of people, just like you and me, who say, well, this makes a whole lot of sense, and this answers a whole lot of questions in a very non-dogmatic way. Okay, uh, Remember, people burned at the stake and pilloried and their fingernails. Waterboarding was invented for use in the, in the Middle Ages against people who believed these concepts, when in fact they're as old as anything we can find. And it's Tibetan, and it's Egyptian, and it's uh, Judaic, and come on, it's found everywhere. But then, as the church asserted itself and became the state and was interested more in control of people on earth than any kind of redemption, um, that's what happened say goodbye to the idea of an overshadowing soul. That you say goodbye to the idea that your soul is already in heaven. You see, <laughs> They needed to pull it out of there, and then they put themselves in there so that it's the physical being and the church. And you serve the church, and the church serves God. And uh, So this is great heresy. Uh, you believe what you want to believe. I'm just teaching the ageless wisdom here. And, uh, you know, the idea is to get from belief to a knowledge, to a sense of understanding, to a framework that you can apply in your life and then decide for yourself, not have to believe me or the church or anybody else. But that's what a mystic does. He, she decides for themselves uh, what makes sense. We just need exposure to different concepts and different frameworks. So 
what if your soul was already in heaven? And what if that was the source of all of your great ideas and these blinding insights and understandings that we we get? Maybe not often enough, uh, maybe not clearly enough, but you know that feeling of eureka, of illumination, of enlightenment. Well, wouldn't you like to go there instead of walking around hoping it would happen? Wouldn't if if there was a higher sense of self? a spiritual self that uh, had a whole different set of values, was was already much more divine, that represents a path, an ascension, if you will. Dare I even say qualities of redemption. But uh, to get flexible in that understanding is to begin then to seek that higher sense of self and do your best on a daily basis to go there. I don't, again, if you can live there, great. I haven't met anybody that could hold the frequency yet. We keep crashing into our fears. Our fears keep pulling us down and uh, our confusion. And I think all of it born of this experience of being separated from source. So we have this divine homesickness. We all have this longing to know the higher self. I think this is Christ saying, nobody comes to the Father but through me. So you can't know the Father aspect, purpose, power, will, uh, divine will. You can't know that without knowing your own soul and the plane of the souls, the buddhic plane or so-called heaven. And the idea that your soul is already there now, it's been there since the beginning of time. It could not exist anyplace else is a breakthrough in understanding that, again, you find in all the mystical traditions. So this is not just my belief system, and uh, it's nothing that you need to believe. You can know it like all of this material in a very personal way. It's just offering you a kind of a, a wireframe or a skeleton around which you can build your own personal theology and, and uh, theosophy. Okay, that, That's really my intention in all of this. Okay, it's about uh, 13, 12 or 13 minutes before the top of the hour, so let's do our guided imagery exercise around the idea of these two identities and ascending, in a sense, to that higher sense of self. So if you close your eyes, providing it's appropriate, take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling fully and completely, and as you exhale just as slowly, feel yourself relaxing. Just drop all the stress and tension that you're carrying in your body. Do that a second or a third time. Sensing as you inhale, pulling in strength and power. And as you exhale, ah, feel the letting go. Create and sense a letting go feeling. Feeling very safe and comfortable. You're in control of the letting go. Yeah. You're in control of the letting go. Choose to let go to feel safe. Imagine yourself like butter on a warm day, just sort of slowly softening, yielding, feeling better and better. Maybe you'd like to even 
visualize yourself in a beautiful place of perfect peace, a paradise of some sort. Trees and bushes and flowers, the feeling you're making it up, well, tell yourself that's exactly right, you are. You're going to dream it up in your mind's eye. And allow my voice to guide you as you see the blue sky and the greens and the trees and the grasses, smell the fragrances, feel the gentle breezes, hear the wind at the tops of the tallest trees, feel the gentle warmth of the sun on your face, and how it's cooler when you step into the shade, cooler still in dark parts of the forest. Choose where you'd like to be deep in the dark forest or out in the middle of a sunny meadow full of wild flowers or maybe under a shade tree put yourself down water is nice have some water around a little lake or a, a pond a stream of water waterfalls cascades that'll cool it off a little it's always so refreshing hear the sound of the water if it's if it's running water and the birds in the trees and imagine yourself sitting here, right here, sitting down upon the earth, feeling connected, feeling grounded, rooted, plugged in. Feeling very safe and relaxed. And consider the self that you identify with. Just reflect effortlessly as if sitting back and allowing impulses to come to you, thoughts, feelings, pictures, senses, sensations, that have to do with your sense of self. Who am I? Notice how positive thoughts and feelings come in and we sort of resist them. We go, wait a minute, not too much, not too positive. I wouldn't want to be seen as arrogant or pompous or elitist. Maybe we should play that down and play small. Wait a minute, not that small. Wait a minute, stop beating myself up. What is all this negative self-talk? Why am I so critical? My God, sometimes I talk to myself the way my parents did, as if nothing was ever good enough. Is that who I am? Is that the best way to be? The stories I tell, let's think of some of our favorite stories that we tell about ourselves and what motivates us to tell the stories. What do we gain by identifying with this story? What is it evidence of? That we're telling the story again and again because it's a good story. We like the story. I mean, it's true enough, but it's a perspective. It's a choice to tell it this way and to tell it again and again. What are we getting out of it? I tell that story to myself because and I repeat that story aloud to others because 
now remind yourself you're not the story. You don't have to carry those with you. Every place you go, the stories, the hurt, the confusion. Do we have to drag our past with us wherever we go? Do we really need it? And if so, what does it say about what's happening right now in the moment? If I use this precious present moment to tell a story, don't I miss the moment? I'm willing to give up some moments to talk about my past. I'm willing to give up some moments to learn from my past and to plan my future, to sort through my anxieties about what's coming up, but let's just maintain the consciousness to the best of our ability that even an examination of the past or fear of the future is best accomplished not as stories, thought patterns, and loops, but something that we have chosen to do in the moment and then forgot that we're the one that chose to do it and become the one that's doing it, be the choice. This is mindfulness. This is detachment. You have a body. Care for it. But you're more than the body. You have an emotional nature. It's a wonderful emotional nature. It's rich and tells you much about yourself. But you're more than your emotions. Look how they ebb and flow. Look how quickly they change. You have to be more than that constantly changing emotional nature. And the thoughts, well, they argue with themselves. One minute I think this, and then immediately on the heels of that thought, I think something else. Maybe it's opposite, maybe it's different, but not opposite. And I'm just confused. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think. Who is the I that doesn't know? And what if you did know? What if you did? In Lewis Carroll's classics, Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, Alice encounters, I believe in the former, Adventures, the hookah-smoking caterpillar who says to Alice, Who are you? Now, Alice has had a tough time. She came down the rabbit hole. She had a little bit of cake that made her real big. She drank out of a little bottle and said, Drink me, and she got tiny, or maybe it was the other way around. But Alice has been tripping. She's been big. She's been small. She almost drowned in a river of her tears. And this caterpillar, sitting on a magic mushroom, smoking a hookah, says, 
who are you? And she says, I don't know. And she sort of explains her predicament, what she's been through, and this irritates the caterpillar, no end. And so, getting almost angry, he says to Alice sternly, what do you mean by all of that? Explain yourself. And she says, I can't, because you see, I am not myself. And that's the best news anybody could give us today. We're not ourselves. We're not our pain. Not really. We're not the best things that happen to us. Not really. We're not the circumstances that surround us, the situations we find ourselves in. That, that, that's, that's not the essence of who we are. I, I'm, I have a body taking care of it, try to feed it good food. It's a vehicle for form. Ego believes, persona believes, it's the body. No, more than that, more than thoughts and feelings. I am that. I am in form, but above and free of form, to be the soul-infused persona to be the spiritually infused material being, don't you see? To go from simply aspiring to your better nature to being that better nature through the use of relaxation, breath, yoga, visualization, guided imagery, meditation, contemplation, reducing stimulus, feeling safe and relaxed. And when the body is still, even if only for a few minutes, 5, 10, 15 minutes, when the body is still in this way, the mind begins to quiet. Fewer thoughts demanding your attention. The emotional nature becomes calm and still like a pool of water. When its surface is as smooth as glass, you remain. And there is a sense of self, a feeling that is at a higher frequency than any emotion you've ever felt. It's more refined. It's a higher vibration of a feeling that feels like love and happiness and joy and peace all rolled into one. That may be the ultimate contentment. It's a sense of being everywhere, equally present and nowhere, equally present. And you just set aside a few minutes to get physically still and mentally quiet and emotionally calm. And what remains, what begins to stand above all the rest, that's your higher self. That's the essence of who you are. Notice how kind, how forgiving, how loving, how easygoing you are without the confusion of thoughts and the torment 
my feelings. Amidst all this activity, go, go, go. Do, do, do. How about a few minutes a day just to be, be, be me? The eternal and infinite essence that is love. It's not so much that you have within you the love you're looking for, it's that you are that love. I'd like you to consider making a commitment to yourself at this point before I guide you back into normal consciousness and the high stimulus of being oriented to the physical world and your egoic persona. Consider committing to 5, 10, 15 minutes. I'd recommend 15 minutes once a day, ideally in the morning. Maybe just get up a little earlier. Get up 20 minutes earlier. Go to bed 20 minutes earlier. And set aside 15 of those minutes. After you're all ready to go, maybe you do your whole morning routine and you're just about to walk out the door, but you've got this extra 15 or 20 minutes. And you sit down, like you're doing right now. Breathe, relax. And check in, reminding yourself who you are and what you're for. Consider dedicating yourself, committing yourself to a commitment to better know the truth of that self, an adventure of self-discovery an adventure of personal development, an adventure in self-realization. What could be more central to your life than know thyself and to thine own self be true, and if you don't do that, who will? And we'll still play roles and characters and wear costumes and try to please other people. But we can be more conscious about it and make better choices. So make that commitment if you're willing. Decide now if you're ready they dedicate a tiny little sliver of your waking day to understanding who you are. Start the mystery of existence with an exploration of the individuality of your genuine nature, your authentic self. You have the DNA proof now. No two snowflakes alike, nobody quite like you, nobody with your gifts and talents, not combined in quite the way your gifts and talents, most of them still hidden within, I dare say, 
they're unique to you. Funny, ironic to say, each of you is different, just like everybody else. <laughs> and it's true. Commit to that. And get excited about it. Wow, what will I discover? Maybe the game's rigged. Maybe all the negative stuff is just in the roles that I play. Maybe if I seek to understand my genuine, authentic self, there won't be any negative. There won't be any fear. Maybe. Give it a try. Few practices in this world are as old as reflection, contemplation. We're the only animal that can really do that. As far as we know, to think about thinking, to feel our feelings consciously, to stand above it all. Now, I'd like you to reorient yourself toward the sound of my voice, remembering what we're doing here today, this webinar. Remembering where you are and preparing in a moment to open your eyes. And as it feels right for you, telling yourself that it'll be easy to remember all of your insights. It'll be easy to remember your commitment to practice. As it feels appropriate for you, take a nice, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, relaxing, feeling fine with a full memory. Open your eyes wide awake and alert, refreshed and rested, back in the room, feeling really great. Wide awake and alert, welcome back. And again, thanks very much uh, for being with us today and this uh, last Sunday in June. And uh, we have July 4th weekend next week, but I hope you'll be able to join us. We're here every Sunday. So far, we haven't taken a Sunday off. We may at some point, but we'll let you know well in advance. We'll certainly be here next week on uh, what would it be, the 6th or 5th of July, something like that. I don't have a calendar in front of me. And uh, again, I want to encourage you to tell your friends because this whole thing is free. We don't have any advertising budgets. The uh, newsletter is free. The uh, newsletter archive, the webinar, the audio archives, all of it free. Uh, and again, you can get the audio archives of all of the, well, that's what an archive is, all of the past classes and webinars at my website, theagelesswisdom.com. There's a link in the lower right. Go to Web Teleconference. Homepage, then Web Teleconference. You'll see the archive. And click on Wage Inner Peace Now and visit our Focus Passion website. Check out that premium podcast that I do with Steve every month. Every week, actually, we charge 99 cents that's 3.96 a month for what i think is one of the most instructive and informative personal and spiritual development programs you'll ever find anywhere and, and the way steve and i bounce off each other it, it, it provides uh, points of view and information that you'd never get from either of us in a solo situation so for less than four dollars a month uh, just to pay our broadband fees there Help us out with that. That wage inner peace now. Just click that button. That'll take you to focuspassion.com. All right. So from this week, Nahiku near Hana in Maui, Hawaii, deep in the jungles of Hawaii, 
but via the Internet. How cool could that be? Uh, this has been the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Hope you enjoyed our discussion of identity, and uh, we'll be with us next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for I was going to say thanks for calling. That's all I'm having to be on the radio. You can call me. My voicemail is 818-569-3017. Anytime, 24-7, leave a message. And you can inquire about personal coaching there, too. I'm doing telephone coaching with some very cool people. And uh, there's a couple of spots, so if you're in, interested in finding out about that, 818-569-3017. Voicemail, anytime, 24-7. Okay? Thanks for listening. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha. The moderator has disconnected. The call will now end. Welcome to the conferencing service. Please enter your conference ID followed by the pound sign. Thank you.